Welcome to the first Listen with Liston of 2019 on Strictly Business Podcast. Liston, you sent me your outlook for 2019. It's become an annual tradition for you and I to talk about the year that we think, or rather that you think, is going to pan out over the next 12 months, of course. Um, And your opening remarks for your outlook go as follows. Much of what happened in 2018 in politics, economies and markets was, in fact, what I expected to start to happen in 2017. So you were ahead of your your time, um, as usual. Well, I think, Lindsay, you know, one of these things, we always look at it by calendar year. You're never quite sure when something's going to happen. But really what I'm putting it all on is, you know, the fact that we have a president of the United States who is definitely not of the normal genre. Now, I I explain that in the outlook as well. And I say, it's actually, we shouldn't blame Donald Trump entirely. He's simply the manifestation of a dissatisfaction that people had with what I call a 30-year era of trade liberalization, freeing up of markets, and all sorts of movements that happened essentially after the breakup of the former Soviet Union, and of course, bringing China onto the world stage. And that has been an incredible patch, actually, and I would have thought most people wanted it to continue. But sure enough, you know, there was a backlash to it, and uh, heading that in the United States was Donald Trump. And then we had the Brexit vote in the UK, and surprise of surprises, the people there also took what I call a populist nationalist line. And unfortunately for Theresa May, she's got to implement something she wasn't in favour of in the first place, and now she's getting blamed for the cost of it all, yes. <laughs> which somehow seems quite unfair. Yes, and that yes, whole process, back to, back to just, in, outlook, just incidentally, yeah. uh, listen, we will, we'll talk about Brexit later on, but a lot of people are getting back to their desks in South Africa, particularly in the financial services industry this morning. Can you imagine what Theresa May must feel like going back to the UK Parliament to start the debate all over again with a vote on the 14th and 15th? She must feel terrible. Well, again, I think, you know, I even said it in my outlook, I said she's probably borrowing the attitude of Margaret Thatcher, who was known, incidentally, by a nickname of Tina, and the Tina stood for, there is no alternative. And I think that's the line she's going to adopt, and she's going to say to her party, if you don't come with me, we'll be forced into a second, another election. I'm not going and taking my chances on a second referendum. The first was a disaster. There's no reason to believe the second will be any better. It may be that, you know, and I don't know fully how these things work in the British Parliament, but there may be a parliamentary motion which gets carried because Labour would vote for it, which says there will be a second referendum and she will then be forced to call one. So I think, again, what we're really talking about in this outlook is to say greater uncertainty And at least one other correspondent has labelled 29 the year of living dangerously. Mm. I'm not quite sure whether that's fitting. But what we're all really trying to say is, you know, we've come through an incredible patch, actually. And that's why I say at the beginning of 2017, I could see storm clouds gathering all over the place. And yet markets were going up and everybody was relatively happy. I don't say that it's true of South Africa, but certainly, you know, we saw that the United States was doing pretty well right into the beginning of the year, major wobble in uh, January, February, recovery, and then suddenly, really truly, as of October, we've had every sign that, you know, the era is over. 
Let's start with the United States of America because they are sharply in focus, or rather that country is sharply in focus for a couple of reasons. Number one, Mr. Trump, of course, uh, the government shut down and all that's uh, preceded that. And there's also a trade war with China and the meeting starts today, a two-day meeting between US and Chinese officials. But it's also the markets that have grabbed the attention. It was February last year, Liston, that um, I can use the analogy, I think, of a volcano like the recent Anak Krakatoa eruption that they had but there were warnings beforehand steam rising and you know mini eruptions here and there nothing too serious but a few rumblings and I always identified February of last year as the start of something it was I think triggered by Facebook or something like that I can't remember now but anyway we had some extraordinary volatility the volcano went quiet again and then the eruption started once more in December it's been fascinating stuff yeah. And again, as you say, you know, we all pretty well know what's happening in the States, what all the issues are. And fortunately, I think there's a lot of acceptance amongst all the people what the issues are, just the ways out of it are not playing. The first is that, you know, they're, they're going into policy of interest rate normalization. And nobody really knows what that is. Firstly, we've never been through QE before. And now how to get yourself out of that without causing a huge problem to the economy, nobody knows. And Jerome Powell has to somehow steer us through that. So again, I don't say living dangerously. I say living in greater uncertainty. You really don't know what is going to happen next. By good fortune, again, the economy in America is running pretty smoothly and pretty well in the terms of the normal metrics of unemployment and inflation. So, again, it would be surprising to see all fall down, uh, you know, coming out of that. But simply the fact that, you know, you can't tell what's going on. What we call a risk premium means that you have lower valuations and lower valuations in a period of rising interest rates means lower prices. Sorry. Let's talk about Jerome Powell. Let's talk about the US Federal Reserve because he delighted the market or market participants last week. And he's the chair of the US Federal Reserve, of course, with some dovish comments. And if you read the telegraph.co.uk this morning, Ambrose Evans Pritchard basically just says, bears beware, the Fed has listened to the primordial scream of the market. Now, that is quite a dramatic turnaround from <laughs> maybe three or four weeks ago. Yeah, but we know the person we're talking about as well. Yes, he yes, he's a, he's a headline grabber. Yeah, <laughs> headline grabbing. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, the the biggest story, you know, I guess, is whether the Fed has it in its power to do anything dramatically different than that the market doesn't like. That's that's the big point. If you look back at the at the interest rate pattern and the number of times they changed the interest rates. It's been, you know, again, you talk about volcanoes, I'll talk about a glacier. This thing is moving glacially slow. Mm. And, uh, you know, little bits keep falling off the end. That's about what I would say in terms of the Fed and what it can and cannot do. But there's no doubt if you tie that now in with the uh, European Central Bank also moving or stopping QE, they're not actually moving, you know, into the point of quantitative tightening, but with the ECB now stopping purchases, you know, that only leaves Japan still on a QE, and it won't be surprised at all if they change that somewhere in the course of this year, whether it be the right thing at this point in time or not. They just can't be out of step with all the other majors. 
Okay. What do you think is going to happen, Liston? Do you think this, these are shots across the bow and the, these shots have been fired, uh, as I said earlier on, starting in February, but uh, there really has, the gunfire has intensified in December. Is that it? Is it all over? Because we have seen a 5% rally in the market, but historically, 5% rallies are quite common and the, with the bear market still in place. Are we in a bear market, first of all? Yes, we are. That's the first thing. You've got your 40-week moving average rolling over, and that's been true for quite some time. And they also tend to pick a direction and carry on in that direction for much rather longer than uh, most academics and, and commentators would believe. And as you know, I do my weekly charts, which you're a recipient of, and I keep saying, you know, just look at the trend. The trend is the 40-week moving average. Yep. And it kind of tells you that it is heading down. Now, something or other has to change to make it go up. And the key point I keep making is what would it be or could it be? You know the players on stage, and one of them is Donald Trump. The other side is Nancy Pelosi, the new Speaker of the House. But here you have a situation where the House is opposed to the President, which you didn't have in the first two years of the Trump presidency. So that again tells me nothing dramatic is going to happen on the upside. If anything's going to happen, it's going to happen on the downside. And I'm afraid the die is cast. You know, the trade wars have been declared. There has been no truce. They can come along with all kinds of negotiations and fancy fine spin doctoring. But it certainly is not that any Chinese company is going to rush along now in the belief that it will all be well for the next three or four years. What about corporate earnings? We're going to get into fourth quarter reporting season in the United States of America in the next couple of weeks. And a lot of people are saying, given the profit warning from the behemoth, which is Apple, that there will be more of that sort of thing. Is it too early to start seeing a corporate earnings? Well, they're going to slow down, obviously, from a year ago. But do you think there might be a corporate earnings recession at some stage in 2019? Well, again, depends what you're scoring on and against. But the answer to that is yes. Uh, again, you see the, the, the big leaders of the pack, the Amazons, the Facebooks, and the Netflixes and so on, are not the biggest earners. This is the surprise. They've been uh, great performers and, and they have very high market capitalizations, but they haven't been the drivers of the total of corporate earnings. So if we look at earnings, uh, and, and it's what I was saying, is that the economy is running smoothly enough, but there isn't a tax cut coming which will encourage all sorts of things to happen. So you've just got the tail end of that, you know, still feeding through. But on the, on the other side of that, you have the problem, and I maintain it is a big problem, that in terms of the trade wars, somebody, and it is indeed true, Apple is one of the first to report it, that the Chinese are no longer buying Apple phones. Oh, my goodness, who could have thought of that? There might just be a little bit of retaliatory action in it. And secondly, because a lot of the components of Apple are made in China and Taiwan, you have a situation where suddenly costs are going to rise in the States for certain products and, and life will get fairly tough. Uh, and again, you see, this goes back to the principle that I was sort of basing the whole outlook on, is that we are kind of in the middle of nowhere. We're not in a liberalization, free trade, free movement of goods brigade. In fact, what Trump is doing with the trade wars is he's diametrically opposed to the principles of the World Trade Organization. So he simply says, well, then we won't belong. 
Now, again, you know, that's not what a politicians are supposed to do or say. Uh, they tend to be able to say, let's work our way around this, find a solution, let's reach agreement on something, not say, well, then I'll just walk away. So what I'm saying is you can't count on the, the policies, etc., of institutions of significant standing to carry the day. So, again, it's that living dangerously. If you ask for corporate earnings, I think it's difficult to see them growing at any great pace. The person I follow on this, by the way, is a fellow by the name of Ed Yardini in the United States. And I've been watching Ed since the early 1980s. So he's been around a long time, seen a lot, does an incredible amount of work. And on a company-by-company basis, he looks at the way corporate earnings are going to are likely to go. So again, if people want more detail on that, you know, happy to happy to hand that to them if they will contact me, which they can do listen at listen.co.za. But the main point you're asking about earnings, it may not be earnings that matters because the big run was in the NASI, the NASDAQ, and that's your Facebook, Amazons and the rest. And you now have a situation where a number of those, uh, for whatever sets of reasons, are unlikely to exhibit the growth that went along with that growth, uh, the growth in the in the share prices. So yes, I think indices will head down. I think that's almost a given. Undoubtedly, there will be some beneficiaries in terms of the whole thing. And again, I, I put it this way: I said the international companies headquartered in the United States will battle partly from a stronger dollar, but the local companies, you know, servicing an economy that is running at pretty well full speed, will quite likely be able to do tolerably well. So again, I think, you know, to look at indices may actually be a little bit misleading at this point in time. China is slowing down. We need to pay some attention to that. And the numbers, people say we can't really trust these numbers. But what we can trust is the fact that the growth is slowing and their factory output was the worst for two years, I think, during the month of December, which was a bit of a surprise. Or was it a surprise? I don't know. But the fact is that the... The consumer economy is also coming under pressure, as evidenced by Apple, although there is some uh, patriotism involved in the spat between Huawei and the United States of America and the Canadian authorities, etc. But can we expect more companies like Apple to say, actually, our sales in China have fallen off a cliff because they're simply not spending? Yeah, again, I'm not sure to what extent the sales in China are that important, apart from certain tobacco companies and a couple of other very specialized items. Uh, I think what is more important is the growth in China. And as you say, the rate of growth has slowed. It's still growing, and it's still growing quite fast. Just by the way, and I don't think we should miss sight of it, I don't mention it in the outlook, but India is a country that is still growing at a very fast pace with a huge number of people in it. So, you know, we can't be too negative about the entire world just because we're negative about, you know, various trade wars. But bring it, bring it back to China. And as I said, you know, the Chinese consumer is certainly not buying most of what um, uh, uh, American companies are selling. And there is, in my opinion, absolutely no doubt that a lot of the Chinese manufacturers are doing what we saw in the 50s and 60s in Japan, copycat items. They're doing it with powerful production lines, powerful workforce, 
Uh, and they are producing very, very good quality items, many of which we are the beneficiaries of receiving at pretty low prices. So I don't want to knock the, the, the whole thing, but just to say what is going to happen in 2019, it can't be as good as 2018 that in China. That's, you know, as definitive as I can be. And that, again, is what leads me to saying, you know, it's a year of living dangerously. European Union, just briefly, we've spoken a bit about Brexit, and I want to shunt Brexit aside, apart from the fact that one thing we can say unequivocally is that there will be disruption, and that will create volatility, particularly in the currency markets, particularly in the sterling. Okay, what about um, the EU as a whole, though? Because the powerhouse that is the European Union's economy, i.e. Germany, started to wobble a bit last year. Well, yeah, my concern would be much more about Italy. I mean, Italy has got, you know, getting on for 100 million people in it. This is a large economy. And, you know, if uh, things are going back to the bad old days, you know, where you have new governments every every fortnight, and if, heaven forbid, they decide to have their own currency, the lira, and it devalues at a constant rate, you know, I will really think we, we have have had not a lost decade, but uh, lost half millennium. I mean, we just can't have uh, numbers that, that that look like this. So the fragility of the EU is what bothers me. Now, it's interesting because there has been a move, particularly following Greece, where they're saying, you know, we can't all belong to the same club and yet everybody has their own budgets and just does what they like because then the, exactly what happened in that situation was that Greece was handing out all kinds of benefits to people. There was no way that that government could pay them. They managed to borrow money from the banks of Europe, which ultimately had to pay some penalty for that. And the beneficiaries of all that were indeed the Germans who, uh, being hardworking and sticking pretty close to fiscal and monetary policy, (laughs) were able to do some fantastic exporting on the basis of a weak euro, not caused by their exports, but caused by other other situations. So the move I'm, I'm talking about that's interesting is that there is now a move where the European Parliament is able to set budgetary limits on the the various countries. Now, again, you would have seen that in Italy particularly. There's a hark back also to uh, Greece on that. But again, when I say it's a club, you know, and the members of the club are supposed to belong, uh, who belong are supposed to obey the rules of the club. The real question is what happens if you have a member who is not obeying the rules? Do you expel him? Do you force him to obey the rules? What disciplinary measures do you have? And again, you know, over and above all of that, as I said, you know, you've got other problems lurking on the borders, uh, not the least being, you know, the uh, supply of energy into a number of the countries uh, from the uh, former Soviet Union, and notably in the form of gas pipelines. You know, there's a whole lot of what I call political fragility built in to that entire group. If you want to talk about real political fragility, then, of course, you move to the Middle East. And I don't think we've got time to discuss that. And I think it's just uh, it's always been like that. It'll probably stay that way. It's only the degree of the fragility that uh, that affects us. 
What um, I need to, what but, we do need to talk about, list, and I'm not going to go through all of your excellent outlook 2019. I will make it available with your permission on the website. But uh, I want to talk about commodities, and of course, linked to commodities is the fortunes of the South African economy. Commodities, we have to start with oil because, with a straight face, Mr. Donald Trump, President of the United States of America, stood up at a press conference and said the oil price was $83 a barrel not so long ago. I sat down and I made a phone call, and lo and behold, here we are down at $50 a barrel. He said that the last $30 were all to do with him. What a lot of nonsense. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. He, he may indeed have spoken to a couple of the captains of, of that industry. I think the real simple truth, of, particularly in commodities, is that you, they tend to obey the laws of supply and demand. And if there is too much supply, the price can fall dramatically. And if there is undersupply, then the price can rise dramatically. So you get these big moves, and they're often uh, sorted out by extra supply coming on stream or extra supply being taken out. Now, on the one side, you have got OPEC and in particular Saudi Arabia cutting uh, production, and they always were the, the swing producer. But hello, wait a minute. The United States is today a bigger producer than Saudi Arabia, and an awful lot of that is coming in the form of shale, and an awful lot of that is in the Permian Basin, which is in the state of Texas, uh, which uh, <clears throat> the president relies upon for a lot of his support. Mm. So I'm not sure that the uh, the Texans will absolutely love him for having driven the price down. But I think the simple truth is that, you know, we need to look at oil nowadays in, in a much more uh, there are alternatives thing. And I'm, I'm also mentioning and going forward the whole debate of the renewables. And I don't know if you saw that comment just uh, the other day. It says that, uh, you know, for the first time, renewables have overtaken coal in Germany as provi providers of energy. On June the Big 30th. The story on those renewables, the solar and the, and, and the wind, of course, is that they are, are variable. You know, if there's no wind, you don't get. If there's no sun, you don't get. But the big story on that one, in fact, is the, is the fact that they have created long-life batteries that will work even if you have a day without sun. I noticed in the United Kingdom at the end of June, it was a very hot summer, as you know, uh, at the end of June, solar provided 28.7% or was it 27.8%? The semantics need not detain us. Well, let's call it 28% of the entire energy needs of the United Kingdom on one day was provided by solar. And when I look at South Africa and when I look at Britain, I think, where have we gone wrong here? We're way behind. <laughs> yeah, well, let's not get onto that one. Save it for another day. I've got stories to tell you on that that that, that, that people will just not believe, and the people who should believe it are, are the are the uh, the group called ESCOM and the new leaders of that group. Mm. But yes, uh, very, very definitely, we are blessed with sunshine. It ought to be a requirement that all homes, you know, have solar heating for their uh, water particularly, uh, but certainly also for electric lighting uh, and, and, and simple simple uh, heating items. Maybe not for the cooking and maybe not for, uh, you know, some other bits, but for sure, you know, we, we, we have been very, very slow in implementing on that basis. But in, in fairness, nowadays, much cheaper. So again, you know, uh, one is able to install solar into one's home for today probably 25% of the cost uh, of, of 10 or 15 years ago. So it may be to our benefit to have waited until they were cheap before we went ahead with it. 
South African economy, you say here that the US dollar GDP, that's gross domestic product per capita in South Africa, is now less than 70% of one of our neighbours, Botswana. Unemployment yes, has remained Botswana. unchanged in percentage terms since the ANC took power, and so it goes on. PMI hovering just below the 50 mark. Uh, we went into a technical recession at one stage in 2018. Really, we're falling behind again in, in this way. We've spoken about solar, but what about the big picture of the economy? Can we drag ourselves up by the bootstraps in 2019? I say not. You know, we're going to worry too much about an election in May or thereabouts, and we are desperately in need of foreign capital to grow our economy. And unfortunately, as I read a number of the policies of the current ruling party, it is designed to switch off foreigners from investing here. Now, that is tragic. That I can say no more than that, because if the economy doesn't grow and the population does, then I'm afraid to say GDP per capita declines even more. The number unemployed will remain as high as. So until and unless we have some change in sentiment, but it isn't even sentiment, it must be a policy change where people say we've had 25 years experimenting and seeing what we could achieve. We haven't achieved what we wanted Therefore, the policy must be wrong. Unfortunately, history, and it doesn't matter whether it's Venezuela or Zimbabwe, the worse it gets, the more the entrenched become the policies determined to equalize everybody. And unfortunately, I'm waiting to hear this from an official source within the ANC. I see no sign of it. I hear no sign of it. Uh, and, and everybody seems quite happy with the mining charter which the people in the mine say, well, that's it, goodbye, we'll go to the Congo, we'll go to Zimbabwe, we'll go anywhere, but we won't open a mine in South Africa. If that is the mindset, I'm afraid it doesn't matter whether your name is Jacob Zuma or Cyril Ramaphosa, I don't see how you can improve the situation in terms of the economy. Sorry. We want tips from you, Liston. I know you're very guarded when it comes to um, giving out tips because your clients obviously come first. But you can give us some sort of idea when you look at the, this corporate South Africa scene after a, a fairly rocky and um, controversial 2018, let's put it that way. But what sectors are going to do well? Are the banks going to bounce back? Are the retailers going to continue to eke out a living from the few people that do actually have a job? Um, can you give us some, some insight Okay, well, the way I'm approaching this at the moment, and it isn't new, but it is more formalized, and I'm very happy to share this with people who ask me to as well, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, that doesn't come, you know, just at the end of a, a, a document. But essentially I say, you know, take three scenarios, and let's call them optimistic, uh, mainstream, and pessimistic. Under the optimistic, you know, the RAND gets uh, stronger, the, RAND, the gold price probably goes up, we have political stability, Sol Ramaphosa's uh, strength increases, ESCOM gets a few things right. My goodness me, that's a pretty optimistic view. Under that one, almost certainly the RAND will improve, inflation will come down, and interest rates will come down. Wow, what a lovely scene. Under the main line, we have political stability. Sorum Opposer still has difficulties, without doubt. We muddle through the middle largely, but on a slightly increasing and improving trajectory. And then the pessimist. 
And the pessimists say it doesn't matter what you do, the uh, tax base is too thin, your fiscal policies won't wash anymore, the uh, ratings agencies get tired of uh, of making excuses. In fact, there's only one of them holding out, as it turns out, uh, and they give up and they say, no, we give up. If you're going to follow paths and you just don't get enough money coming in, sorry, but we're, we're going to downgrade you. Then the cost of money goes up. Unfortunately, interest rates go up. The RAND weakens. Inflation goes, my goodness me. So, you know, optimistic is what is a RAND improving and pessimistic is the RAND uh, weakening. Now, be that as it may, uh, just put yourself in each of those boxes separately and then say to yourself, okay, under the optimistic scenario, the RAND strengthens, what's going to be best for my clients or an investor in South Africa? Well, it sure isn't investing offshore, which so many people do, because uh, those markets are unlikely to do anything spectacular and the RAND is strengthening. In RANDs, you will actually go backwards. My goodness me, it's been quite some time since I said that. But by the way, that's only in what I call optimistic box. And we might have to talk about the probability of that. And I would put that at probably something like 15 to 20 percent. That is quite pessimistic. Then then we talk about the, well, talk about the main line. The main line Again, that's probably got to grab most of the of, of the space, you know. So so make that uh, a good sixty percent, and you've used up twenty. That leaves 20, 20 for the pessimistic. But now under the pessimistic, as I say, the rand could go. It could blow. It, it, it you know it's as bad as that. That if people genuinely, after everything that could have happened, start to lose faith. And by the way, this could be because the EFF gains a whole lot of votes in May, and I don't discount that possibility at all. So, uh, again, under the pessimistic, you know, uh, things become extremely difficult for whoever is running the country, and it may not be Sora Ramaphosa if everything doesn't go according to plan. Uh, you know, so in that scenario, you definitely want to be in the Rand hedges, but again, you want to be in those which particularly have not got all the good priced out of them, and I won't go into any more detail uh, than that. But the real surprise is that a lot of South African companies actually do moderately well in that scenario as well. And that's just a function of the fact that the RAND has weakened for as many years as I can ever remember, which is well over 50, the RAND has weakened. And so the companies have built business models that can cope with a weakening RAND even though they are domestic and domestic economy focused. So the real surprise to me when I did this work was to find that, in fact, if you had to allocate money, you probably did better on a risk-reward ratio by betting on the pessimistic. Not that you believe it's coming, but you'll do better if it does than betting on the mainstream, where by and large the prices are basically showing you that. Now, I make one big exception to that. And that is the fact that a number of companies have, for whatever sets of reasons, experienced some incredible, and I, I use the word incredible meaning not credible, uh, falls in price. You can't tell me that a company which produces foodstuffs, let's just call it that, and which was valued at 200 rand a, a year or so ago uh, because of a drought and because of this and because of that, is suddenly worth 80 rand. Uh, you know, either it was totally wrong at, at, at 200 or it is totally wrong at 80. 
And you can tell me which uh, rand dollar it is, and you can tell me which president it is, you can tell me which inflation rate it is. <laughs> but I'm prepared to say that there are certain cases where I do believe that, you know, the the share prices are discounting a situation that that was and could be, be again, but probably won't be again. So I hope I've given you some clues there, Lindsay. You have indeed. I'm just going to read your final paragraph. It says the following. Financial should outperform SA economy-facing companies. Resources is the pick for 2019, you say, but of course on a pessimistic scenario with significant RAND weakness, RAND hedges and RAND plays will be the winners. Gold shares, already more than 40% off their lows of 2018 may yet prove to be a safe haven, but in my opinion, it takes a brave person to hold them for more than their insurance value to a portfolio. Property is a special case, but you go on to say bonds are going to beat local property, and goodness me, what a terrible year local property had. Yeah. Well, again, uh, that, that was largely due to you know certain specific events, but the property side of it, and you don't have to do much more than walk the streets of Santon to see overbuilding of office space. Uh, I, we have the highest property vacancy rate that I have ever seen and tons more new buildings coming on stream. That's not what I've ever seen before. That just doesn't sound like a happy situation no matter which way I look at it. The shopping malls are full. Uh, and the bigger they are, the better they are. It, it's it's an interesting uh, kind of uh, psychological phenomenon uh, that, that people very much like to flock to an area where they can get anything, albeit with a five-kilometre route march to achieve it. Liston, thank you very much for your insight. That was Liston Mainchies. Liston, just to remind us where we can get hold of you and for whom you're working at the moment. I'm working for Invest Securities in Johannesburg as a, uh, a portfolio manager, mainly for uh, private clients, but only too happy to look to institutional investors as well. But uh, if they wish to contact me in the, the guys that I'm, I'm talking to you, which is more so as an individual than a house view, then they can contact me at Liston at Liston.co.za, which is a company uh, Abercrombie Investment Management, of which I am the owner. Listen, thanks so much for your time. Liston Mainchies, and that was Listen with Liston.